Hello, and welcome to another Veterinary Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield. I'm both the host and owner of Vet Team Training. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. So today I just want to talk about hiring in a veterinary technician, nurse, or an assistant, and how do we know if it's the right hire for us? Well, I'm going to start off and say that it's not by doing an unpaid working interview. Some of you saw my vlog recently, and it said... Unpaid working interviews are illegal, and that is a fact. Unpaid working interviews are illegal. In fact, I really despise the term working interview, and I saw a lot of responses. It actually got reposted a couple times, and I saw a lot of people writing, oh, I do working interviews, but I pay them. Well, that's not a working interview because a working interview constitutes the person doing work. This is more of a second interview or a shadow interview, whatever else you want to term it, but we'll get there. Okay, let's start at the beginning. You have put out a job application. It is perfectly written. It is amazing. And now you're starting to get applicants. Woohoo! First of all, that's a hard step right there. We're all in a staffing crisis right now. So the fact that you are getting applicants on a job posting, good for you. You're starting to look at the resumes and you're starting to figure out, do I want someone who's credentialed? Ideally, yes, if you're looking for them to do high-end veterinary technician and nursing skills. But we also know that we have a lot of really wonderful, uncredentialed veterinary assistants. So determine who you are looking for. There's a lot of value in veterinary assistants. Having veterinary assistants paired up with veterinary technicians and nurses actually helps the flow of the hospital floor move a lot faster because they can team up, they can partner up, and they can get the job done. So definitely decide, do I want a vet assistant? Do I want a vet tech or a nurse? What exactly am I hiring for? Maybe it's a kennel assistant. Maybe you're terming it a hospital assistant. Maybe you're looking for a technician manager or director or supervisor. And by the way, total side note, I love the fact that so many of you are looking for veterinary technician directors veterinary nurse directors. I just love the fact that veterinary technology is having director level roles. Yes, praise the higher powers. It's about damn time. Because here's my total segue to this, and then we'll get back to the point of this podcast. We have always known medical directors are a benefit, particularly in our larger hospitals. But the largest hospital team is always going to be the veterinary technicians, nurses, assistants that are in our building. And yet they often lack a direct manager. And if we do put a manager in there, we term it like, technician supervisor, or if we do call it technician manager, we don't allow that person the full autonomy to actually manage the team. They have to do a lot of checking in with the uh, practice manager. Like they might go to the practice manager and say, Hey, I have a person with a performance review. Do you want me to talk to him? No. Our technicians are just as skilled as our medical doctors at actually doing leadership roles. So if you're going to put someone in that role, I love to elevate them into a director level position where they have the autonomy to do performance reviews, to have these, you know, performance improvement plan conversations, career pathing discussions, development plans that should occur on a yearly basis. They should also have the autonomy to go ahead and give raises while still speaking with the practice manager because the practice manager is the one who runs the operations and is responsible for the overall budget of the hospital. Okay, total side note, but I love these director level roles that I'm seeing on Indeed 
on all the other job sites, thank you for putting them out there and for recognizing that you need technician leaders in your hospitals. Woo! I feel like that's a small win. All right. So going back, you are now getting applicants in. You have decided what you need You're for that criteria. Who are we looking at? Do we want someone who's schooled or not schooled? Maybe we want an entry-level person, whatever it is. You have started to wean down on those resumes. First and foremost, here is step one in hiring somebody in. Do not not talk to these people. They have sent you a resume because they are interested in the job. It Within a first week or two of receiving that resume, make a decision. Are they moving on to the interview process or are we cutting them? And be honest, I, I just hate when I hear, I applied for a job, but I didn't hear anything. I didn't even get a confirmation that I actually applied. That's a big red flag right there. That's actually gonna decrease the chance of anyone ever applying to your hospital again. And that's probably one of the things that I see happen a lot. I hear it all the time from my colleagues, I applied for a job, they didn't even get back to me. You have to get back to these people. This is a buyer's market right now. Anyone applying to your hospital is gonna tell all their friends and family, their close people that I applied at Happy Paws Veterinary Hospital and they never even bothered to tell me a yes or a no or that they received my resume. Shame, shame on you people. Buyer's market, they have a million other hospitals to pick from right now. Okay, so step one is you're gonna go ahead and make sure that you reply to this person in the first week or two. Say, thank you so much for applying and at least let them know what's gonna happen. Even if you're compiling resumes for a month, let them know, we, at this time, we are we have the job posting open for the next 30 days. We will get back to you with a decision on whether or not you're moving forward with an interview process or not. Just let them know something. All right, now you've decided who you wanna interview. How are you gonna interview them? Well, now with technology, and I think we've all gotten comfortable with all of the online meetings that we have, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google, uh, meet up, whatever it is, there's a million ways to interview somebody. They don't necessarily need to come into your hospital, which is kind of amazing because when people are looking to relocate, that one-on-one -on -one face to face interview becomes sometimes almost tedious and impossible for a veterinary technician or a nurse to do. But now, if I was interested in moving to the state of Florida, I would like to think that potential you know, companies that I was about to go ahead and, and apply for could have interviews over the actual internet. And we can do it still face-to-face. -face. And that saves me the time of going down and interviewing in person. Because that initial interview is just that. You need to do an initial interview to see if this is even the right candidate. Make sure you have a list of questions. I see too many people free ball in their interviews. <laughs> you should have a list of questions. And within those list of questions are embedded your hospital's core values, the things that you're looking for in a candidate, as well as whether or not they're going to be a right fit for your hospital. One of the questions that I love to ask, and it's fun and it's sort of an icebreaker and it always throws every, every single interviewee off is, if you could be any animal, mythical or real, what would you be and why did you pick it? And the interview is like, this is totally out of the box. But here's what I want to know. Are they fun to work with? Do they like to think outside the box? For me, this is a core value. I want them to sort of laugh at the question. I want them to have fun with it. I want them to enjoy being able to look at a weird question like that and come up with an answer. So for me, there's a method to why I ask that question. If they look at it and overanalyze it, or oh gosh, if I've had a candidate who one time said to me, 
well, this is such a strange question. I don't really want to answer it. Immediately I knew you're not going to fit because you need to laugh in order to have it fun. And if you're not going to laugh or enjoy this question, then I probably don't want you on my team. So strange question. But for me, I always pick questions of that are going to make sure that I look for the core values of my hospitals and embed those into questions. Too often we say, you know, general questions like, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, where do you want them to start from when they were born? I was born in December on a cold, snowy night. Like, wh what does that even mean? Are you just talking about their work or are you talking about their life in general? So let's narrow those questions down. Make sure they are open-ended questions. We certainly don't want yes or no's because one, it doesn't allow for a lot of content. Um, and two, you don't get to know the person. Certainly during interviews, usually the interviewee is pretty nervous. So I that's why I like to kind of do one of those icebreakers. But if they're so nervous that you're struggling to really get to know them, make sure that you have questions that are general, but also dig in for detail. For example, why did you leave your last position? Or why did you apply for this position? Make sure that it's open-ended enough so that hopefully you can get some sort of sense of direction of why did they leave their last job? Or you know why are they looking for a new job? What do you see yourself doing in five years? You know, that could be a variety of things, but I'll give you a great example. One time I used that question on somebody because their resume was largely lab animal and here they were applying for an emergency vet tech position. And it was very strange that they went from lab animal to emergency, not saying it can't happen, but I needed to know. So I said, what made you decide to apply for this job? And they seemingly gave all the right answers. You know, they were interested in emergency medicine. They wanted to change a pace. They wanted to challenge themselves, yada, yada, yada. But then I said, what do you see yourself doing in five years? And that's where I got a truthful answer. And the truthful answer was, was that they saw themselves going back to lab animal, that they actually, their contract had run out. They didn't have actually any more contract work. And so they were picking this up to learn a new sector, but they were really hoping that in about five years, they would be back in doing some lab animal research. It's not to say that this person isn't hireable, but this person isn't gonna be a long-term hire. And so sometimes opening up these questions and allowing that individual to talk really does help. You know, certainly if we're looking for leadership, you know, in our hospitals, if you're looking to hire in that technician manager or director, how about ask what management style helps you do your best work? How do you like to be communicated with? How do you handle conflict? These are very important questions. Again, I see too many people that kind of free ball interviews and it, it turns out that they don't get a lot of those actual answers that we're looking for. We wanna listen more and we wanna talk less. We basically wanna nod our head. Oftentimes the other thing I see going wrong in the interview process is that you share your whole life story. Some of you do this and you have to admit this to yourself. You go on and on about your kids and your dogs and your family and why you love to work there and why you love this company or this hospital or the owner so very much and how great the team is. You don't need to advertise your hospital to them. You do not need to bond over this interview. Your job is to interview them. And actually they've already applied to your hospital. So they're interested in working for your hospital. So really it is about less, uh, listen more and talking less, which is really important. Take notes. I don't see enough people taking notes. This person is talking to you. You should write down little notes that will jog your brain later to go ahead and put them 
in a form that you keep track of all your candidates. Because if you interview, say, five or 10 people, if you're lucky enough to interview that many people, because nowadays we're lucky if we interview just one or two, but let's just say you interview five or 10 people, and now you're trying to go back and trying to remember every little detail. So make sure that you take notes and then record those notes on one thing so that we keep a running tally of everyone you're interviewing. And lastly, kiddos, and this is probably one of the biggest ones when doing the initial interview, you need to truly understand what you are not allowed to ask. So in this country, we have very clear laws about things that you can and cannot ask during an interview. You wanna keep your questions focused on the job and on the work environment. You definitely wanna avoid a discrimination lawsuit. So you should never ask questions centered on age, race, gender, country, national origin, religion, disability, marital status, family status, or pretty much anything that has to do with their personal life. Just don't talk about it. All right, so we have narrowed down our candidates. We have performed an initial interview. That is amazing. All right, you've gotten your hand-selected people. Now what do we do? Well, what you do know, because I already teased about it, is you don't do an unpaid working interview. That is, you don't do that. Now, I do know a lot of you are doing paid working interviews. I think that's great. You basically have to put this person on your payroll as if they are a paid employee. And minimally, you have to pay them the minimum wage for the hours that they are worked. So they will receive a tax document at the end of the year. This is very important. This helps to protect you as well as them. God forbid this interviewee gets bitten on the job while they're working. Thankfully, because you paid for their time, they're now covered under, yes, your workers comp. And so this is really important that we do this. Unpaid working interviews are completely illegal. Just think about what would happen if your clients found out that you had people that you weren't paying, they were basically free labor, because that's what that is, and you were having them practice their skills out on the pets to see whether or not you thought their skills were good enough. Completely legal. Now, someone asked me about this. What about students? Students and externships and internships that are actually part of an AVMA accredited program are typically covered by the school's insurance. And there is an education like bylaw in pretty much every state that if you are purposely learning for educational purposes, you then are covered, but you're covered under your own personal insurance or you're covered under the, the school's insurance. Most schools provide actual liability insurance to students or they require their students actually purchase it separately. So just keep that in mind. And just remember, unpaid working interviews are illegal. If you are doing paid, awesome, that's fine. That is definitely one way of doing it. But I would challenge you this, let's again, pull away from the terminology working interviews, because if you're doing paid working interviews, um, yes, that's one way of doing it. But if you're just doing shadowing, that's completely different. That's not actual working interview. And I see that a lot. I, I hear, oh, well, they're doing a working interview, but it's not working, they just come and hang out. Can we call it a shadow interview or a second interview? Because that's really what it is. A second interview is really important. This is where the person shows up in not their scrubs. We do not want them touching or handling anything medical. They're gonna show up in a business interview outfit of their choice, whatever that looks like. But explain to them that you don't need to show up in your scrubs. You are merely going to be hanging out with the team. 
We want you to observe our hospital. We want to make sure that you like what you see because again, people, it's buyer's market. So we really want to make sure that they like what they see and that also the team has an opportunity to talk to them. Now, there's two ways of testing a veterinary technician, assistant, or nurse knowledge, and that is simply just on the spot moment quizzing. As a senior veterinary technician, someone who's been doing this for a while, I'm super comfortable just asking in the moment questions to pretty much anybody. But if I know that I'm gonna be interviewing someone that day, I'm gonna ask them a lot of questions. And it doesn't have to necessarily seem like I'm trying to quiz them. It can just be casual conversations, such as, what's your favorite spot for taking a blood pressure? If they can't name one spot, I know they can't do a blood pressure. What do you think is the best way to induce a patient? Do you guys have like utilize certain drugs or what do you use to induce a patient into anesthesia? Again, if they can't answer those things, they're probably going to struggle with induction of anesthesia. You can even ask them like, what's the most difficult medical case that you had? Or how do you handle cranky clients? How do you communicate with them? So these can just be talking through sort of their skills and knowledge. The other way that we can do that is to give them an actual written assessment. Usually in under 25 questions, we can figure out where their skill and knowledge base is. And certainly knowledge base is different than skill. I've heard people argue that. Well, I have to do unpaid working interviews because their skill might suck. Here's the thing. You hire in veterinarians and hopefully you don't have them doing spays and neuters before you actually hire them in. You have to trust that they come with the skill that they say they have the knowledge to. We have to do that to for our veterinary technicians, nurses, and assistants because too often we expect our vet techs, our nurses, and assistants to prove themselves during an interview. Meanwhile, we hire in a veterinarian and we just trust they know how to do in spays and neuters. We don't just actually make them perform them. We just trust they can do them. And listen, sometimes it turns out we hire on a veterinarian and they're terrible at surgery. They're terrible at dental extractions. They're terrible communicators to clients. And we have to navigate that. And that's going to happen with our veterinaries, veterinary technicians that we hire on. On occasion, we get one that unfortunately doesn't perform the way we thought they were going to. But it doesn't mean we have to do these terrible illegal procedures like, again, unpaid working interviews. So again, we expect a lot of times for them to prove themselves, but everybody else on the team doesn't have to prove themselves. We can, again, do that written assessment under 25 questions. And a lot of these questions range from very basic to very difficult. Very basic is please lift out the vitals, the normal vital parameters of dogs and cats. If they don't know the normal temperature of a dog and cat, well, that tells us something. How about simple math? They go ahead and have to solve a simple math problem. How about marking off which plane of anesthesia is the ideal plane of anesthesia? How about writing out what is normal end tidal CO2? Ooh, and if we wanna get super complicated, well then let's go ahead and have them do CRI calculations, especially if you're in a specialty hospital. Or we have them to define things like, what is shock or what is trauma or what is parvovirus? And they have to write out an explanation or verbally tell us. So there's a way of assessing knowledge, less so skill, in during that second interview, that shadow interview, that whatever you want to call it, but please observation interview, but please don't call it a working interview, um, unless it's a paid working interview, because then that's actually appropriate terminology. Okay, so great you have actually completed a second interview. And I'm gonna back it up a little bit. After the first interview, 
You need to tell them what is the next step. And a lot of times potential employers say, we'll be in touch. What the hell does that mean, people? I'll be in touch tomorrow. This person's going to be nervous. They're going to want to know whether or not they're moving on to the next step. So you can simply say, we're interviewing other candidates for the next two or three weeks, and we will be in touch probably after uh, three weeks with people who we want to move forward for a second interview. Or say, we're going to give you uh, an answer in the next day or two as to whether or not you're moving on to the second interview. We have to give them some sort of timeline. Uh, just like when I've heard from plenty of great colleagues. I mean, people have lost out on some BTSs, by the way, because they just never even bothered to respond that they received their resume. That's terrible. Those people will never apply to those hospitals again. So that's how ticked off they were. So in any event... Uh, like we're going to highly communicate, hey, I received your resume, thank you so much, and you're moving on or not moving on to the first interview. After the first interview, we are going to highly communicate because those individuals that we said no to, we do not want them to go tell their friends and family about how we interviewed them and then ghosted them. That's a terrible feeling. All right, after the second interview, we're going to do the same thing. We are going to highly communicate these individuals. We have now narrowed it down. And we're going to tell them in the next week or two whether or not they received a job. Anything longer than that, simply not fair. These people are trying to make a decision. They're probably applying at other hospitals because, again, buyers market people. So we have to remember that they're probably our hospital is not the only one that they're applying to. So you definitely want to make sure that you treat them nicely so that they don't go tell all their friends and family, like, I did two interviews and then they just ghosted me. That's miserable. All right, so at the end of the second interview, to be perfectly honest, if it's in a leadership role or in a more senior role, we may need a third or potentially fourth interview. Map out how you want the interviews to go. It should, you know, in your mind, you should structurally know how many interviews I want and who they should be interviewing with. If you want a veterinary technician or a nurse or assistant to do a third interview, there has to be a reason unless, again, they're in a leadership role. Why are we doing a third interview? Maybe it was because the nurse manager was out or maybe there's multiple people you want them to meet with. Make sure they have a clear understanding of why and what exactly is the third interview process. And then typically after that, you need to hire them, okay? So what does that look like? Now we're gonna hire this person. We're gonna do due diligence, give them a job description, you know, make sure we pay them amazingly well because uh, we're an awesome veterinary hospital. And we're gonna call them up and we're gonna notify them. I will say this, after the second interview, I do like to notify people over the phone. I think sometimes email just comes across as really crass. They've gotten to know you a little bit more. They really are invested in your hospital. So for me, I still like an old fashioned interview, but respectfully, if you've got 100 candidates in, which if you guys have 100 candidates in for a position, you gotta tell me your secret. If you had that many candidates in and you did 100 second interviews, I get it, you can't call everybody, but ideally you're gonna call them and let them know why they weren't selected. You probably don't need to let them know why they weren't selected on the first interview, but on the second interview, yeah, they've spent some time at your hospital. You had them spend a half a day. Maybe some of you even require them to spend six or eight hours at the hospital for an interview. That to me is a little excessive. To me, the second interview, maybe four hours, maybe five hours, buy them buy them a lunch, okay? Uh, don't, I have heard too many horror stories of like, I was expected to stay there all day. They didn't even feed me. And while it was not a working interview, they basically tortured me by just making me stand in the waiting area and treatment area and hang out with people. That's miserable. So make sure the hours that they're there are productive. They're meeting with people, they're talking with people, and you're trying to figure out where is their skill or knowledge set. 
All right, I hope that this helps you in terms of your interview process in hiring someone on. It is really about highly communicating to these individuals. Again, as I said multiple times, it is a buyer's market. So we need to do due diligence to the individuals that are applying to our job. And the second interview, I want you guys to think outside the box. What would you want? Again, you want to be paid, I'll tell you that right now. But how would you want to be interviewed with and by and what does that look like? Make sure that you have structure through your day. Make sure it's not disorganized. But also make sure that you're able to assess their skill and knowledge through a written assessment or just on the spot questions. But make sure they're not, you know, all over the place where at the end of the day, you have no idea what this knowledge base looks like. For some of you, the knowledge that unpaid working interviews is illegal comes as a shock. And for some of you, you're gonna be like, bollocks, I'm still doing that, Amy. Here's the reality. I used to do unpaid working interviews. That was a standard of veterinary care in the 90s and in the early 2000s. I believed very much that to be true. But as I got more, more into leadership and I started looking at laws and regulations, it was actually myself, a technician manager, who said to my hospital owners, I don't think we can do these. I'm pretty sure they're illegal. I've started looking at employment laws 99% sure they're illegal. And they said, well, how are we supposed to interview people? And I came up with a written assessment and they shadowed us and hung out on a second day for about four to five hours. We did pay for lunch for that day. We made it a super fun experience. But me just hanging out with them, I really got to know them as a person. It was way less stressful. I didn't have to worry about them getting bitten. And honestly, I didn't have any decrease in my hiring performance. I still felt like I hired in very valid, excellent candidates based on just having them shadow, just hanging out with us and doing a written assessment as opposed to those wretched unpaid working interviews. So I would challenge you that even if you're doing a paid working interview, how about we even minimize the, the risk and the stress and the liability even further by pulling that completely off the table and instead think outside the box and see whether or not we can get the same results by doing a written assessment or just quizzing them on the spot. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope this challenges you in how you interview individuals. There is a ton of resources in the notes section about this podcast. So if you click there, certainly go ahead and open that up. And I've also included those on my website at Vet Team Training. Thank you again so much for listening. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com and keep on being a unicorn.